The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into his nail marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now a week later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he, came, then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and bring your hand and put it into my side, and do not be, be, be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you might come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. There was a businessman who had a meeting in New York and he needed to catch his flight back and the meeting ran a little bit late and so he was, he was gonna, it was going to be close to catch the airplane and so he hailed the first cab and said, I'll give you a hundred bucks extra if you make it to the airport in time for my flight. And so the cab driver said, yep, let's go. And so he takes off and the first red light comes up and he's like, well, how's he going to... And the cab driver, good to his word, drives right through the red light, just keeps on going to get to the airport. But then a, a green light comes up and he actually stops, looks both ways, and then goes through. And the guy's like, you know, what gives? Like, what's, what's happening? Like, why didn't you just go through the red, green light? And he's like, well, my brother's also a cab driver, and he runs red lights all the time. <laughs> so, now, now we see that and we're like, well, right, that's kind of a crazy story. Obviously, I hope it doesn't happen, right? But if it does, what would be the merciful or the right thing to do in that situation? Would it be to quick pay in the money and get out of the cab as fast as you can? Is that the, the merciful thing, the loving thing to do? Or is it to just say, hey, I, I, I don't know if that's the best, and then, you know, just, again, get to the airport, you know, get through the red lights, and then get, get moving? Or is the merciful thing actually to confront him with reality, right? To be able to say, uh, actually, what you're doing is, is very dangerous, Right? What you're doing is not right. What you're doing is actually wrong and dangerous not only to yourself, but those people around you. When we talk about mercy, often we think about mercy as something of just kind of forgive and forget. 
We just have to forgive them, walk away, they do their own thing as long as, you know, right? You just have mercy on them, just forgive. And it's kind of a license, kind of just to say, you get to do whatever you want and I, I just need to forgive and let you do whatever. But mercy actually has more than that, right? Mercy is a complex thing that isn't simply applied. This Sunday is Divine Mercy Sunday, and a little bit more of Jesus' mercy is kind of revealed through St. Faustina. The church, of course, has always talked about mercy, and mercy is already publicly revealed through Scripture and through other means. One of the things that the church has always had is the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. The corporal works of mercy are these works of mercy that Scripture, again, talks about, that, you know, clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, right? These very tangible, corporal works of mercy upon other people. Those are works of mercy and love. But some of the works of mercy that we sometimes forget about are the spiritual works of mercy, which I can't even tell you all of them right now, because if, unless I like see a list, because yeah, I don't think about them a lot. But, but one of them is, you know, to pray for the dead. How often do we think that praying for the dead is a merciful act, actually an act of love, an act of mercy? How often do we forget that? Or one of the hardest, I think, acts of mercy is actually admonish the sinner. An act of mercy is to admonish the sinner. Oh. Now, interesting, it's, it's admonish, it's not harass, <laughs> it's not condemn, it's admonish, to correct, to help bring that person back to reality. The merciful thing to do with that cab driver is not to give them license and to say whatever, it's not to try to attack him right there and, uh, you know, I don't know, steal his car, I don't know. But the, the correct thing would be to admonish him, to try to bring him to reality in what is true. And that is the merciful thing, which is a complex thing, which is applied differently in every single case, depending on the different relationship that you have with the person and what you can admonish, what kind of uh, availability you have with that and what kind of you don't. But that is a merciful act that we have to do and is often forgotten. Within uh, St. Faustina, Divine Mercy... Uh, just to give you a little bit more history about the Divine Mercy, Divine Mercy is a private revelation of St. Faustina. St. Faustina was born in 1905, so actually not that long ago. A little bit over 100 years ago, St. Faustina was born to a poor family, only got a fourth grade education, and then started having visions of Jesus. Kind of like what we heard about St. John in the, in the second reading day, where he was having these visions. Uh, St. Faustina had visions specifically where Jesus was talking to her. And when he got, she wanted to enter the convent, but her parents didn't want her to. And so she didn't until she was a little bit older, and Jesus said, I need you to enter a convent. And so at 20, she started knocking on different convent doors, and a lot of them didn't want her because they're like, well, you're poor, you know, you only have a fourth grade education, we don't really need you. And so a lot rejected her. Finally, one convent said, we'll take you, but on one condition. You have to pay for your habit, and then we'll take you. And so she worked as a housemaid, and so she worked for a few more weeks, saved enough money, and then was able to enter that convent. There she continued to have experiences and, and uh, visions of Jesus, and started talking with the confessor, and started telling him about this. The first confessor thought that she was crazy, and so Jesus got rid of that one and brought in another confessor. <laughs> And that one believed her. 
and started to ask her to write down everything that all her experiences with Jesus. Now, it was really difficult for her because she only had a fourth grade education, so she wasn't able to give a high theological understanding of what Jesus was saying to her. And she had a real struggle to write it. But it's beautiful because it is so simple, but yet so profound in what it is. Now, this is a private revelation, and so it's not necessary for our faith to, merit, to, to make it to heaven, to believe that St. Faustina really had experiences with Jesus. not absolutely necessary. But I would say it's very helpful, and the church has established that nothing in divine mercy is contrary to the faith. And so there's nothing that, set, that is opposed to it. And so we can believe it and actually profit from this private revelation that teaches us about the mercy of God, which kind of puts a microscope on what is already shown in the scriptures, what we already know through public revelation through scriptures and through the public teachings of the church that are necessary for us to believe in order to make it to heaven. A few of the things that she privately kind of uh, experienced and and, um, wanted us to know about, that Jesus wanted us to know about, was the the chaplet of divine mercy. I hope many of you know what it is. It's beautiful. It's a short prayer. It's a little bit shorter than the rosary, so I kind of like that. You know, sometimes the rosary is a little bit long. Okay, do the Divine Mercy Chaplet, which is a beautiful asking upon God's mercy upon the world. And St. Faustina asks us to pray that. Well, Jesus asks us to pray that, and then St. Faustina communicates that to us. Uh, But also reminds us that the hour of mercy is at 3 p.m. every day, because uh, 3 p.m. is when Jesus died on the cross, and so that's especially the hour of mercy. But it's not just 3 p.m., it's also 3 a.m. So you can wake up in the middle of the night and pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet as well, or you can pray Divine Mercy Chaplet at 3 p.m. as a specifically powerful hour for God's mercy to be called upon yourself and upon others. Jesus also asked her to have this painting uh, painted, which we've got a picture of here, and to promote that. And what I love, I I remember, uh, I was really affected by this, but I love the line underneath it, Jesus, I trust in you. That's a beautiful prayer in itself. Jesus, I trust in you. To know that is mercy, right? I trust in your mercy. I don't trust in myself. Jesus, I trust in you. She also talked a lot about confession, that the confessional is a tribunal of mercy, that Jesus is kind of hidden in the priest, that the priest is only a screen, and that the confessional is a place of mercy to heal, right? But we also understand that, once again, I'd like to kind of dive into that a little bit more of what is that mercy within the confessional. To kind of understand that the confessional, of course, is is one of the sacraments, is one of the public revelations, which we need to believe in order to, again, uh, believe the church and the public revelations that have been given. Um, And we hear in Scripture kind of the institution of confession today. Jesus beautifully breathes on the apostles and says, what sins you forgive are forgiven them, and what sins you retain are retained. Now, I always find that striking, right? He gives this power to forgive sins, right? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, God gives that power and authority to the apostles, which is passed on to all of the bishops, which then gives it to the priests. Um, and, but it's interesting that it's what sins you forgive are forgiven, but what sins you retain are retained. Why is that? We understand that, I think sometimes we imagine, again, mercy to be this license, this forgive and forgive. 
that we just need to forgive everybody and have mercy, and, and, and that's what mercy is. But we understand that mercy is a little bit more complex than that. And even in the confessional, if someone steals something, let's say somebody steals a car, and they come to confession, and they brag about it, and they're like, yeah, I stole a car, it's pretty sweet. Um, the priest would actually have to say, are, are you sorry for that sin? Or, you know, are you, are you not? And if the person isn't willing to actually give back what they stole or make retribution for what they stole, the priest is actually not supposed to give absolution, is not supposed to forgive sins, is actually supposed to retain the sins. Well, how is that merciful, right? That doesn't seem like a tribunal of mercy. That seems like kind of, kind of Pharisee, right? Why are you holding that, that, that sin back? Well, it's important for us to realize that mercy sometimes in the admonishment of sinners sometimes requires us to force the person to acknowledge the seriousness of sin. And if the person isn't, uh, isn't acknowledging the sin, if they don't think that it's a sin, well, I can't really forgive them. If they don't want forgiveness, if they don't want that mercy, if they don't want to reconcile their life, then I shouldn't give absolution, I shouldn't give mercy because that's not the merciful thing because it actually solidifies them in their sin instead of helping bring them out of it. Now, I've nuanced this and let you know that it doesn't mean that you have to be perfect once you leave the confessional, right? Somebody can struggle maybe with gossip, right? Struggle with gossip and, and confess and say, you know, I'm just, I, I struggle with it, right? In different situations, it just comes out and I, I know that it's wrong, but I really, and they'll say, and maybe you kind of say, well, I know that I'm, I'm going to commit gossip again. You know, can I really be forgiven? Yes, if you intend on not gossiping again, right? But if you go out and you say, well, I don't really think gossip is a sin. I mean, I gossip and it's supposed to be wrong, but I'm going to go do it anyways because I like doing it, right? That's a different situation than someone who is sorrowful for it and God's mercy is boundless and wants to continue to come. But that person has to be, to a certain extent, asking for that mercy and desiring to change, right? And so God's mercy is not licensed to say whatever you want and is not condemnation of everything. We, hear, we see one of the greatest examples in public revelation in Scripture of Jesus' mercy, the way that he actually encounters people in their sin, which is the woman caught in adultery. Right? This woman is caught in adultery, and the Pharisees accuse her of the sin and condemn her to death. Jesus encounters the sin acknowledges it. He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, adultery, that's no big deal. Like, what have you guys been doing, right? No. He, he acknowledges the sin. He doesn't say that adultery isn't a sin. He says, yeah, that's a sin. But I forgive you because clearly you're sorrowful for your sin. Clearly there's something that you don't desire in it, that you desire to be free of it, but because of different things. And so I have mercy on you. But go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Admonish the sinner, not harass, not condemn. Admonish the sinner to go and sin no more. And that act, although uh, she maybe did continue to sin in different ways, also it traditionally is thought to be Mary Magdalene, who radically changed her life and become what became one of the greatest disciples and one of the greatest saints. The power of mercy when it's received with the right heart, right? 
So we have to understand that mercy is this complex thing in the midst of it all. We can also see other kind of misapplications of mercy if we would say, like, well, what is mercy? Well, what would be a bad application? Again, in this license, we look at parents. What is a good way of parenting mercifully? Is that just to say whenever your kid does something wrong, to just say, oh, it's no big deal. No big deal. You just punched your brother. Oh, no big deal. I forgive you. It's like, no, there should be a certain consequence. There should be a certain admonishing, right? Not a condemnation of saying you're a horrible kid, right? But to say you shouldn't hit your brother, right? You shouldn't do that. You're made for more. There's something more for you in this life, right? If somebody, if somebody is going across the street and not looking both ways, your kid, the right thing to do is not to say, oh, that's okay. No problem. I forgive you. No, it's to stop the child and say, hey, I love you and you need to look both ways because I need you. I want you to continue to live, right? The same way with sin, that we realize that sin kills us. And that sin should also be something that we correct, admonish, guide other people in. That that is merciful. God's mercy is boundless. In order for us to be able to share mercy with others, we have to first receive it ourselves. We have to experience it in the confessional. We have to experience it with those around us. Those who know our sin, but yet still forgive us. Still give us a second, a third, a fourth, a 70th, seven times 70th chance at once again doing what we know is right, right? But we need to first receive that mercy in order to be able to share it uh, with others. And that's very important for us to be able to do. God always gives us that opportunity of mercy in our life. We pray that we might be able to first receive it to share it with others and to be able to share the mercy of God, which is difficult. One of the things that I think about mercy is that I think the best example or image of divine mercy, well, this is the image of divine mercy, but one of the other great images of divine mercy is the sacred heart, which shows Jesus with a, with a heart that's cut, that's damaged. He has his wounds in his hands and his feet. He still hurts from our sin, but yet he still offers us his heart. We ourselves, when we forgive other people, when we have mercy on other people, it doesn't mean that it won't hurt anymore. In fact, the greatest mercy is the mercy that hurts us. Not in a way of like abuse. You know, if there's abuse, you need to, you need to forgive, but sometimes you need to separate yourself, right? It doesn't mean forgive and forget and say, oh, it's no big deal, whatever else. It's to be able to forgive and say that there's something more, but to be able to say that it might also hurt. There are some times when we need to forgive and have mercy on people when it hurts us to do that. Where there's suffering in that mercy. Jesus shows us that the depths of love and mercy is not flippancy, is not rigidness, but is suffering. May we know Jesus' mercy and to be able to also live it out and share it with those around us.